0: So, Spiritual Warfare Lesson 5, The Armor of God Part 2. Of course, we began Part 1 of The Armor of God last week, and we covered kind of the body armor And as we uh, first discussed. So, we'll now talk about the weapons and things of that nature. So, weapons. Soldiers that are in, in battle never rest as those that are in the comfort of home. Now, that makes sense. Being ready for battle requires the soldier to know every part of the weapons assigned, as well as having the ability to know how to be quick in response to any attack that may take place. Now I will say when we were in basic training, before we even ever touched a weapon, we had to know the the range it would shoot, we had to know the how many bullets uh, how many bullets a minute it would shoot. We had to know how to tear it down, how to put it back together, how to, know, how to name all the parts to it, and we had to do it from memory. So I'm kind of one of those, you know, visual learners. I like to be able to put my hands on it, be able to say, all right, this is what this does, this is what that does. And so I'm trying to memorize all of these things that I know nothing about. Because when you take down a 50 cal, machi- you know, fully automatic machine gun, I mean, there's a lot of parts to that. And for a guy that's never seen a gun that big and to be fully automatic, I'm thinking, what in the world? So I'm trying to process and trying to memorize all this stuff and all the details of it. Plus you got that, you got the M249 saw, then you got the M4, and then you got the M203, which is like a small grenade launcher, and then you got, let's see, we had something else. I'm trying to, it it escapes me right now. We had about four or five weapons, we had to know in and out before we ever laid eyes on one, before we ever touched one. And so what's it have to do with us? Well, as a born-again believer, even when you're first born again, you should dive straight into the manual of God, straight into knowing your weapon, because this is the sword of the Spirit. So when we are able to learn and to dive deep into this, then we can know how to handle it and know when any attack comes, because it's it's sad, but it also lets you know you're on the right track. That when the enemy, when you first get born again, the enemy's going to try to automatically come after you. Which is sad because you're, you've just been born again, you've just you know encountered Christ, you've just given Him your sins, and now you're a new creature in Christ. But that lets you also know that you've done something right because if you didn't, He wouldn't be attacking you. So it's it's kind of trying to throw those seeds of doubt in there, throw, throw those fiery darts at you automatically. So that's why it's good to have a pastor, ha, good to have somebody that you can go to and say, where can I start at in the Bible? I actually had a gentleman come to me recently and said, where can I start at in the Bible? Where, where can I begin to read? Because I need to be in the Word more. And I was like, praise God. And so I began, to, I began to tell him, you know, the first couple of books, he says, do you mind to write that down for me? I said, not at all. I'll be happy to do that for you. But it's that, that eagerness and that sincerity of saying, I need to know the weapon more. I need to know how to use the Word of God to combat the enemy. But with that, we, we, we all need to be more in the Word. Because just as you know, we learned in basic training, that's not where the knowledge stopped. It was then you learn little tricks as you as you begin to get hands on, as you begin to you know be in the field more and to experience things. You learn little tricks about the weapons that they didn't really teach you in basic training. You learn little you know little maneuvers or little ways to 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 strap on you know the M4 when you're on deployment. You learn about wolf hooks. You learn about all these little tricks that makes it quick access to pull that weapon up in the time of battle. You say, well, what's a wolf hook? Well, you could take these little little things on the end of your M4. We used to take 550 cord, gut it. I know it's a side note, but we used to make a little loop on the end of the M4. And then we have a almost like a climbing hook that we would put through our vest. And then that way it was easy access, and you had it long enough where you hook it on there so you could let go, and that weapon would still dangle right here, and it wasn't going anywhere. But yet it was when it was there, you keep a hand on it and you could pull it up at a, at a moment's notice and it was right there with you. So you kind of kept it close to your heart. You kind of kept it close that you could pull it up any time you needed it. Just much like the Word of God, we should keep it close. It should be written on the tablet of our heart. That way we can pull it up at any time the enemy rears his ugly head and we can use it against the enemy. Amen. The response time in battle could mean life or death. I'm going to say that again. The response time in battle could mean life or death. You know, we you know, you could think about movies or, you know, especially about Pearl Harbor and things of that nature, when they were caught off guard, you know, in Pearl Harbor, you know, they didn't just sit down and say, I guess, I guess we're dead. We might as well just sit here and wait. No, that's not what they did. Even though things are going off around them, they took, to their, they took to their plane, they took to their weapons, they took to where they were stationed at to, to combat the enemy. And it was that response time that, that what you know, was already a devastating blow to the United States at that time. It, it, it could have been a lot worse if those men hadn't reacted. If they would have just said, well, it's already happening, we might as well just let it finish. no. That's not the way we're supposed to see battle. When we see something even coming into our lives, you know, let's take sickness, for example. That starts to come into your life. You don't say, well, I guess I'll wait and see what's going to happen. No, you. as soon as, it, as, soon as you even start sniffling or anything like that, you start cursing it. I curse this sickness in the name of Jesus. This will not stay. This will not stay. My God, my word in the Bible the Bible says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That includes sickness. That includes anything in the enemy. So I declare healing. By the stripes of Jesus I am healed. And it's even that quickness of response time could mean life and death. Because let's say if you didn't do that and all of a sudden you start getting all these issues up here, and then all of a sudden it goes into your lungs, now you're fighting an uphill battle. Because now it's going to take more prayer, it's going to take more devotion, it's going to take more faith when, when you could have cut it off when it was small. Amen. So it's that response in battle. could mean life or death. The response time. The shield of faith. The shield of faith is designed, is designed to protect the whole body in height and width against all weapons that an enemy would use to strike. So wouldn't you know that faith could be one of your best assets? could be one of your best pieces of the armor of God. Because faith is supposed to cover you, not only in height, but in width. But it takes, you've got to build your faith. But also, the Bible says, without faith it's impossible to please God. So that means if you don't have that shield, if you don't have that in your life, then that means you can't please God. So if you use that shield, if you use that pleasing unto God, that faith that that battles the enemy... Then, then anything that tries to come against you, you f- have faith in it. No, nope. I have faith in my God more than that. I have faith in my God more than that. Because what if an attack came and the fiery dart hit, and you say, well, I don't know if God can do that or not. That's not much faith. Then now, now not only are you allowing the enemy to win, but now you're displeasing God because you don't have faith in Him. So now not only are you are you given in to the attack of the enemy, but now you're displeasing the one that you're fighting for. So it's a double-edged thing. So we must have faith. We must hold up our shield of faith and it is designed to also protect us. So not only is it a, a benefit of fighting the enemy, but it's a benefit to your life to protect you. Amen. So being sometimes soaked or dipped in water Extinguish the enemy's flaming missiles thrown at the soldier holding the shield. Now, I could probably write a whole another lesson on the water being, you know, an example of like the Holy Spirit and things of that nature. We could probably go that route, but for this lesson, we'll just stick with actually the shield of faith and what it is. But, but being soaked or dipped in water extinguish a lot of the flaming missiles because. When you got that flaming missile coming at you, not only does that shield of faith hold it up and keep it from penetrating you, but also that water, what it was dipped in, would actually extinguish the fire. So now it's not a burning, you know, now it's not a burning thing that would consume you. But now you've quenched it, and you can take that fiery missile out and throw it down to the ground because it has no effect now. Amen. So this important armor piece could deflect many of the enemy's first attempts at attacking the soldier. They say, wait a minute. So the shield of faith could stop some of the first attacks. You know, well, let's take this. I said, well, <laughs> you know, I preached, you know, kind of hard Wednesday. It came out a little harder than I anticipated, but that's all right. It was still led by the Holy Spirit. But anyway... You could take that message and say, well, that pastor doesn't love me. That pastor doesn't, doesn't love us. Well, that's a, that's a fiery dart that's trying to separate you from where you're called, from your man of God. So you could use a shield of faith and say, nope, I blocked that fiery dart in the name of Jesus. That was the Word of God. I'm not entertaining darkness, and I'm not allowing this attack to come against me and to come against my thoughts towards my church and towards my pastor and towards my God. Or, you set that shield aside, that shield of faith, and all of a sudden that thing penetrates you right in your heart and you start thinking, that pastor doesn't love me. Why do I even go to church? Does God even love me? I don't know, I don't know if God even loves me now. You see how it went from just being a, a flaming arrow, a flaming missile, to now it's penetrating and now it's consuming everything about you. It begins to consume your mind, and it starts burning down everything that God has built. It starts burning down everything about your life because you've allowed one attack, one thing to penetrate you. When you could hold the shield of faith up and put it out and say, no, enemy, I'm not falling for that. Not today, Satan. (laughs) Amen. For the Christian soldier, this shield disables the enemy's attacks on a believer's faith in God's goodness. God's love, God's power, God's grace, God's mercy, God's sufficiency, and God's truthfulness. So this shield disables those attacks. Because we've all probably been there where we've thought, you know, God's a meanie-weenie. He's so judgy. No, God's got goodness. God has lots of goodness. He gives us goodness when we don't deserve it. He gives us grace. God's love. God's love comes at us. We didn't deserve it. We were once His enemy, but He gave us love anyway. He sent Jesus Christ to die for us. God gives us grace. We could doubt that, but we shouldn't because it's a free gift from God. God's mercy. God's sufficiency. Well, I don't know if God can supply my needs. That's that's an ignorant statement, first of all, because God says that He is our supply, but the enemy uses that to attack God's people. Because then you know it's kind of like one of those things to where you know there there is um, a person I can think of where they were wanting to do something for God, and then their family started telling them, "Well, you need to have this and you need to have that, and you need and you need and you need." And it's like, wait a minute, but what about God? If God's called that person to do this, wouldn't God supply their need? Wouldn't God take care of them? Because I remember when we were coming out of the military. You know, <laughs> Tiffany and I we were like we don't know what I didn't know what I was going to do for a job. I had no job lined up. We didn't have a house lined up to move into because we were living in, you know, military housing. And so we had all these questions of just like we don't know what we're going to do. What it looks like when we get to Cookeville, but we know God's called us. That's where we're going. And and, and do you know what? God supplied every need. Because He is not a liar. And His Word says that He is our supply. So He was found faithful because we were faithful to obey. So with that, we could say God is is sufficient, but the enemy would try to tell you otherwise. God's truthfulness. If God's not a liar, that means there's all truth in Him. And so we need to take Him at His Word. We need to prove Him. Because God does say to prove me. So that means test me, try me. See if I'm not faithful to you. See if I'm not full of truth. Amen. You know, usually those that are full of truth, they're the ones that will say, test me, try me, try my word. You know, they're not the ones that that will, you know, say something and not back it. You know, (laughs) it makes you leery when somebody says, you know, I promise this and that, I promise this and that. Because it makes you think, where in your life have you made your word so null and void that now you've got to back it with a promise? Or, you know, they say, well, you know, man, I, I, you know, I swear in front of Jesus, I this and that. Well, why you got to bring God into it? Isn't your word good enough? Or why are you having to proclaim God's goodness and God's truthfulness because? Somewhere along the line, they have not held up their word and they've corrupted it. So now they feel like they've got to add to it. They've got to add protection because their word was found null and void at one time. So if God says, Try me, prove me, he's, that's what he means because he's saying, I will do it. You just got to try it. Amen. Having faith in God extinguishes the fiery darts that are designed to make the target lose belief or trust in God. Now, John MacArthur says, Faith is only as reliable and helpful as the trustworthiness of its object. In the case of a Christian, it is placed within an unfailing God. So when if faith is only as reliable and helpful as the trustworthiness of its object, that means if we have faith in God, that means that our faith is it should be unfailing. Our faith is in something that will never fail, that will never back down, that will never go away. Because it's in God. Amen. So the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit should be close by and ready for use at any given moment. The Holy Spirit is the origin of the sword that inspired the penman to write the words God authored from heaven. So 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So if we break that down, we know the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, it's inspired by God. It was profitable for doctrine, because doctrine is not just you know fancy words and things. It's a, it's it is how you uh, balance and understand things. Like if we have a doctrine of speaking in tongues, well that means that we haven't just taken one verse and said, all right, now we're going to build this whole thing on it. We're going to do this whole big act on one verse. No, sound doctrine is built on multiple verses. It goes from showing you one side. That you can come over here with it, but the but the word of God also gives you a full doctrine where you can come over here with this. So now, you know you, you when you balance everything out, as my pastors taught me, everything with the word of God comes with a balance. Does God give grace? Yes, He does. He gives grace and makes up what we can't because we're human. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin, but we we get God's grace as a, as a free gift unto us. But now on the flip side of that, on the opposite ditch, we also can't say, well, God gives me grace. I can live any way I want to. That is a popular teaching in churches. To say that I can do anything I want to because I've got the grace of God. That is one ditch over here. So you've got to balance it. You've got to see the Word of God and balance everything because when God lays it out in the Bible in its entirety, you'll see the whole picture which builds doctrine to say, all right, I'm covered, I'm not, I can't do this by works, but God gives me grace to make up what I can't do. But yet on this side, to say that I can't also live any way I want to in sin, I've got to still be holy unto God. So with that, we need to make sure that when we use the sword of the Spirit, we know the full aspect and full doctrine of everything, and we can uh, benefit our lives and have a firm foundation to stand on. But it's profitable for doctrine, so a good way of living, understanding, before reproof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness. So, you know that that sword, that sword kind of is a spanking tool sometimes because you get kind of way out in left field, you start going in a direction you don't need to, and that sword comes out, not the sharp end, but kind of the the blunt side, where it just kind of swats you in the rear end. And you're like, oh yeah, Lord, I need to correct that. I need to. I need to fix that. You know, because not all attacks with a sword are by the blade side where it's just cutting, but the Word does say that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts between the, the joint and the marrow. So that means it can cut you if you're deep enough in sin. Instead of just a little spanking, it begins to cut and say, ooh, that sliced hard. I need to fix that, Lord. I can see that from the Word of God. Help me to fix that. Amen. Amen. So the sword of the Spirit is a multi-tool. Amen. The wep- this weapon is a source of truth. John seventeen seventeen. It's a source of happiness. Proverbs 8, 34. A source of power. Luke 10, 19. A source of spiritual growth. Acts 17, 11 and Romans 10, 17. Now I will say... Who would have imagined that a sword could be a source of a spiritual growth? But yet, you take a sword, you take this weapon, and it can cause you to grow. Because you know, let's let's go back to our example a minute ago, when we said it was sharper than a two-edged sword. Do you know that if you have certain plants? And you get weeds that grow up in there. Do you know it'll kill what you've originally planted? But well, what, what, I know it may be a little extreme. But you take a, you take the sword, or you take this tool that God has given us, and you start snipping out those weeds. You start cutting out those things, and it allows better growth because it's not being choked out by all the weeds and the things that are trying to grow in there with it. So you take it, and, and you take that you take that sword, and you start cutting out those things, whether you. Now for us, whether we like it or not, sometimes God you know, will prune us and try to cut things out of our lives and it's up to us to say, Father, I do want that growth. I do want that growth. So cut anything out of my life that you desire to. Or we can say, Lord, you're being a meanie-weenie. I don't want that. I, in other words, you're saying I don't want to grow. I don't want this cut out of my life. I would rather have that than to have, have it cut out of my life and to grow for you. But the choice is yours. Notice because, as I pointed out in all these, they're a source. doesn't mean that it will happen. It's up to us to take that source and, and to gain what we can from that source. But it can be a source of spiritual growth. A source of guidance. Psalm 119, 105. Talking about it being a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen. A source of comfort. Job 23, 12. A source of protection, Hebrews 4.12. And a source of victory, Luke 1.37. Now moving on to our next section, is communication. Ephesians 6.18, this is from the Amplified, says, Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the Spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding in behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. Now, praying always is the, pray, prayer is the only communication a Christian has with the superior officers of heaven. Without proper communication or having a lack of communication, battles are lost, and soldiers die on the battlefield. Now, in military training, one of the first established tactics to overcome an enemy is to take out the communication between the soldiers, but especially the communication between the soldiers and the leaders. Now, anytime that an enemy takes out your communication, you're in trouble. Because then you're, you know, it's, they call it like walking in the dark. You're kind of crawling around in the dark because you, you can't understand where everybody else is at. And then the next thing you know, you start firing at your own people. Or, you get lost and you get separated from everybody that's in your, that's in your army. And then now you, you can be isolated and the enemy is easier to attack on you. So, the enemy knows the importance of prayer. The enemy knows the importance of prayer. Because that is you communicating with God. That is you talking to God. Now, we know that there are, you know, multiple, I think, roughly nine or so uh, types of prayer. There's intercession, there's petitions, supplications, there's thanksgiving, there's the prayer of faith, prayer of consecration, prayer of agreement, uh, there's travailings, and there's the prayer of tongues. So we've got roughly nine or so, but when we use each and every one of those, each and every one of those has a purpose. But if we don't understand what, what situation calls for each prayer, then we can be left in the dark and saying, well, what do I pray for? How should I pray about this? But if we do know, we can apply that, and we're not left in the dark from our God, but we can cry out unto Him with the right mode, the right, the right heart, and the right method, and we cry out unto Him, and He, can, he will hear from heaven, and He will answer us and help us. Now, does that mean that if you don't know how to pray to God that you know He's not going to listen to you? No, because He just wants you to cry out unto Him. But for our understanding to say, all right, somebody asked me for prayer, I'm going to pray intercession for you. I'm going to stand in faith with you. Or a prayer of thanksgiving. You know, we pray and we're thankful to God. There's different modes and different methods. But the heart of it is we need to pray. We just need to pray because You know, growing up in different, seeing the different denominations, you know they had this thing called a silent prayer, and it's that is very dangerous, because silent prayer, the the word prayer actually means to orate. Orate means it comes out; it is spoken word. So when you orate something, you're speaking it. Now, does that mean that God doesn't know your heart? No, but if I want my child. If, if they're wanting something, and they look at me and go, they're sticking their hand out to me, and I'm like, "Well, what do you want?" And they're they're pointing at their hand, like, "Give me something." Well, what do you want? I'm, I might could take a guess. Now I know that I'm not God the Father; He understands all things. But it, you know, as even as a father, I still want my child. To say, Daddy, can I have this? Daddy, can, may I have this? May I have that? You know, we still are uh, disciplined enough in our home that before my boys get up from the table, they'll ask, you know, Daddy or Mom, may I be excused from the table? May I be excused? Yes, you may. Because we taught that, and it's not to be you know, a dictator or anything like that. It's to show proper manners, but they must ask. And if they get up without asking say, whoa, 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 who excused you from the table? Oh, I'm sorry. And, and now every once in a while, they'll get a little lazy on me. If, if, they, if they catch that, they'll stand there with their stuff, you know, from getting finished with their meal and say, can I be excused? I say, no, you sit down first. We're going to do this right. So much so, I've got a couple, of, a couple of people that's in their 20s that come and visit us and they see this in our boys so much, they ask to be excused from the table when they're done eating. And I thought, that's so cool because it's not that I've made them Oh, you better ask too. It's not like that. They caught the heart of it and showing honor and manners that to say, you know, I want to express that I am done with my meal and I would like to go over there and sit and visit. So may I be excused from this to go over here? But it's that oration, it's that speaking that lets the request be made known not only to you know, the head of the household, but for us, it would be to God. But it also can be an example to everybody around us. You know, because when we're praying for something, you know, you know, you know last couple of days you know, I've prayed with people over the phone, and, you know, you know or I could say, you know, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. And then I get off the phone and not, and not say a word about it. Right. Or I could stop right there and say, can I pray with you for a moment? Before we hang up, can I pray with you? You know, 9 times out of 10, everybody I've always asked that to always says yes. Even even when I've, you know, had pagans or or other people that were in need and asking for prayer, I would, you know, I would ask them, "Can I pray with you right now?" There's only been it's been very rare that they've told me no, even if they weren't a believer. Because most people when they're asking for prayer or desiring something, From somebody they know that knows God, they're wanting it. So why not give it to them there? And I'll tell you right now, I don't. I don't look at them. You know, let's let's say I'm I'm, I'm talking to somebody in Walmart or whatever. I guess I go to Walmart a lot because that's usually my example in everything that I talk about. But when when you're when you're with somebody and they're asking for prayer, they're talking about something. You know, I don't stand there and say, "Well, let's pray together." I don't just stand there and and we're looking at each other or got our eyes closed in the middle of Walmart, wherever we're at, and it's just really quiet. We don't do that. Because everybody passing by is like, what's those weirdos doing? But if you stand there and you say, Father, I thank you for my brother or sister. I call them the healed of God. I call this situation, I call it resolved in the name of God. I, Father, you are the God of restoration. You are the God of health and strength. Father, I pray this with my brother and sister right now. We declare the word over this situation. Everybody around you starts to walk a little bit further out. Or they're like, please God, yeah. You know, it's, like, it's kind of like on the inside of them. They get Because I've seen that happen a couple of times. We're stirred me up, not... I didn't even know what the situation was. I wanted to pray with them. But I thought it would be rude for me to interrupt what they're doing. But but it's that, that oration, that prayer of crying out to God, of communicating with God and not being silent about it because silent prayer can get you into a lot of trouble because you've silenced all communication and when it's all in your mind, that becomes a dangerous ground to walk because if things are already in your mind, let's let's say if you're praying from your mind, so you're not praying with your mouth, what else is in your mind? What else, is, what else is in your mind that the enemy tries to throw in there? And the next thing you know, you're not really praying in your mind. You're thinking about your grocery list. You're thinking about that. You're thinking about this. You're thinking about things that the enemy's trying to throw in there to get you distracted. I mean, because... I mean, let's face it, even when we speak and we pray out loud, sometimes our mind can get distracted and try to go off and say, no, no, I'm not doing that. Father God, I declare this, I declare that. And, and you start praying, you start speaking loud. Even your mind will try to walk off with something else, to, else if you're not careful. But you've got to stay focused. But when you speak it, you're declaring things in the air. You're declaring things and the enemy can hear you and know that you mean business with God right now. So, we're not to be quiet. We're not to be silent. Amen. The Apostle Paul follows the armor of God with this verse about prayer as an important part of the Christian strategy. Praying means request always directed toward God to ask from inferior to superior, to make requests for particular needs. So, that is the actual definition of prayer in regards to this uh, aspect of praying always. So, it means request made directed toward God to ask from inferior to superior. So, we're not commanding God, well, God, you better do this. God, you better do that. Because that shows that you are on the same level, if not superior, by your vocabulary and what you're telling God. But, the Word does say we can come boldly before the throne of God. And we can also remind Him of His Word. Father, Your Word says that by the stripes of Jesus, I am the healed of God. That's not, a, that's not being you know, uh, facetious. That's not being mean or bossy to God or being a spoiled brat. You're just reminding Him of His Word. But yet, you're still declaring something in your life through prayer. To make requests for particular needs. As we said earlier, it's best to make your request known. That sounds familiar, right? Make your request known. Always reflects uncertain affinity marked out and expressed. Pardon the typo there. It's marked out and expressed. So uncertain affinity marked out and expressed. Constant communication with God for plans and direction Is the purpose of prayer. It's a constant communication. You know, praying always. It doesn't mean that, you know, you spend every day, you know, Father, I thank you for this day. And as soon as you wake up, you're getting out and you're making your coffee. Father, I thank you. And then you're working. Father, I thank you. And then, you know, you're in the bathroom. Father, I thank you. And then you're talking to somebody. Father, I thank you. It's not like that. That's not mean that you constantly, 24 hours a day, you can't talk to anybody because you got to pray. You can't think about this, you can't do your job because you got to pray. No, it's the, it's the heart of saying, Father, I thank you for this day. You know, and you, you, know, you pray a little bit, and then you do your work, or maybe you have a conversation with your spouse, or you have a conversation with your kids, and then you get you know, a, moment, a moment to yourself again and you say, Father, may you help Brother so-and-so. I call them the healed of God in the name of Jesus you pray for a minute and you go back to what you're doing and you pray for a few more minutes and you go back to what you're doing it's that kind of in and out just when you find when you have the moments or when you make the moments you specifically say i'm going to make time for prayer it's that throughout the day just praying you know i i got to witness this when my pastor going to uganda a few years ago you know we'd be on the plane And, you know, we'd be, you know, watching movies with, you know, headphones and stuff like that. Or we'd just be sitting there and, you know, kind of quiet or resting. And I'd hear him, I'd hear him start praying. And it wasn't like this, you know, loud, boisterous, you know, Father, I thank you. And it wasn't like that. It was just, you know, but it was still coming out of his mouth. Father, I thank you. May you help me. May you be with my family. It was just that, that still quiet. But it was still coming out of his mouth. So it was prayer. But yet it was just that constant, just every so often I'd hear him. And then guess what? Every so often I'd hear him say, Praise God. Because me being around my pastor, I got to see that. So guess what I started doing in my life? I started following suit. And it began to it began to really open up what praying always really meant. Because you could read it all day long, but then when you see it, you're like, I get it, I understand it. Because you can you can see it, you can read it, and when you put all these things together, you have a full doctrine of things, then it means more to you. It, it, It has more of an effect in your life. Praying refreshes, strengthens, and encourages. Praying refreshes, strengthens, and encourages. You know, I, there's a lot of times I'll, I'll I'll know that I need to pray, and I'm like, Ah, oh, Lord, I need to be doing this. I need to do that. I Lord, I just just to be honest, I don't feel like praying at this moment right now. But I know that I need to. So, Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my boys. And I start listing out all these things I'm thankful for. Then I start. Then people start kind of popping up on my radar. Father, I pray for brother so and so. You know that thing that's been that thing that's been bothering him—the health and strength. Father, I declare he is the healed of God in the name of Jesus. You start. You start declaring things. You start finding a little more fight in you. You start feeling a little more boldness because you've been. You're talking to the Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and the earth, and. You start finding yourself, because you start off with with thanksgiving and you start moving into other things, you start finding an encouragement, a boldness about you to say that you're fighting the enemy and there's nothing the enemy can do about it. Because you're talking to the commander-in-chief. You're talking to the heavenly host of the almighty army of God. You know, it reminds me of a picture I saw a while back We had this little kitten that said, you know, when I first start prayer, and then it has these lines that says when I end prayer. Because when you get in front of the you get in the presence of the Almighty God, you start feeling a little more boldness, a little more courage, because you remember that you are a child of God. You're a soldier of the most high God. And it starts putting a little more fight and a little more boldness in you. Amen. But it also refreshes. Amen. To pray at all times reflects living in a continual God consciousness. Christians should pray for all believers and not just themselves. The failure to pray is a failure to glorify God and have true intimate relationship with Him. A person's knowledge and relationship to God are measured by his prayer life. I'll say that again. A person's knowledge and relationship to God are measured by his prayer life. what does that mean? Well, if you know the Word of God, you can quote the Word of God to God to remind Him of His promises, of His Word, but also you know His heart. You can catch His heart and and what He thinks about things. And when you build on that relationship, you know whether God approves of this this, or doesn't approve of that. And you know what your request. You know how God sees things and views things. Now, do we understand everything about God? No, not at all. But we can understand everything That is my father. I'm around him enough to know how he feels about things and know what he thinks about things. Amen. Just as a natural relationship, you know, my boys know certain things about me and know what I like, what I don't like. So they know, you know, uh, different things to bless me or to or to understand my expectation of different things. So if that goes with an earthly father, why wouldn't it go for a heavenly father? The more we get to know Him, the more that we know His expectations. Amen. The more a person prays, the more they know God and build a relationship with Him. God desires His soldiers to remind him of the promises in His Word. Knowing His Word allows Christians to know Him more. Using the Word of God during prayer paints the picture of a soldier communicating with his commander while swinging his sword at the enemy during battle to receive the proper supplies for a battle a soldier must must be uh, excuse me a soldier must be specific another typo in the request made to his superiors when you do not pray specifically god cannot answer specifically I'll say that again when you do not pray specifically god cannot answer specifically now does that mean you got to get the minute details of father I, I pray for you know i pray for that you help me get a new car. Does that mean you got to pray, well, Father, I pray for a 69 Dodge Charger. No, that doesn't mean you have to get that specific about that. But it's the heart of, Father, I pray that you help me to get a reliable car that can help me to get where I need to go, help me to get to church, help me to get to work, help me to do the things that I need to do. You know, because you you could pray, now I know this may be a silly example, but you could pray in general, and you're going to get a general response from God. Or you can pray specifically, not, not down to the exact detail of the color of the car, the size of the tires, and all that stuff. You don't want to get you know, kind of the uh, jerk at attitude or being too good, but you want, to ask, you want to ask for specific things of God. Although God is, all-knowing, is an all-knowing being, he desires his soldiers to use the mouth he created to speak and make request or declare things in prayer. Not only do we make requests, pray specifically, but watch unto perseverance. So perseverance to be is to be persistent, to be strong or firm, to endure, to accomplish, to remain, to bring through to an end. So when Christians persevere there is victory. So you know to when we when we watch unto perseverance, we're persistent about it. you know when we want something, if we ask one time and it doesn't happen, now some denominations are kind of like that well, I prayed one time about it, and it didn't happen, so it must not be God's will what about what about when Daniel was praying and there was a a lack or a a uh in timeline because the angel finally comes down to daniel i believe it was he comes to him and says we've been trying to give you an answer but we've been fighting in the heavenlies we've been fighting to bring you the answer from god so what if daniel would have just prayed one time and that was it no we must keep praying we must pray and keep praying Pray till you get an answer. Pray till you get a breakthrough. Pray till something changes. Cuz I've known, you know, a, a couple of women that prayed, you know, for years, long much longer than I've been alive for their husband to be born again and then at one, I think was f- around 50 years, and finally he came to church and gave his heart and life to God. 50 years of praying. Praise God she didn't give up on the first time. Praise God she didn't give up on the first year. She prayed for 50 years and finally saw the fruit of what she'd been praying for. So we must not give up. We must keep praying. Keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. But may Christians use every piece of armor God has given to receive victory over the enemy. Because we know that this spiritual warfare is much more it's it's much how can i say this spiritual warfare is more real than what we believe it is it's more real than what a lot of christians think that it is just because they don't see the soldiers in front of them that's their enemy and because they're not in a hand to hand combat does not mean there's not warfare because we know and this, is a spiritual, this is spiritual in nature, so it's not something that we see, but when you're spiritual and you walk by the Spirit, you can feel the things try to come against you, try to attack you, and you understand what's of God and what's not. So we must realize spiritual warfare is real and that we must apply the, the armor of God and the things God's given us as resources to combat our enemy. Because as long as we endure, we will win. As long as we continue on, as long as we do not give up, we will obtain victory. Amen.